are listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the FCF Leadership Podcast. We are still talking about the Enneagram and how understanding personality types can help you in ministry and in everyday life. We have made it all the way to eight. I actually know a lot of eights, and you probably do too. They are the type to stand out as a type of person because they're known as the challenger. I was able to catch up with Jesse Shook, who pastors a church in Burleson, Texas. He chatted with me about what it's like to be an eight and understanding the characteristic trait of steamrolling. Enjoy. Thanks for joining me, Pastor Jesse. Happy to be here. So you pastor Ovation Church down in Burleson, Texas, which is just south of Fort Worth. How long have you been pastoring? Since 2009, so just over 12 years. But you grew up in ministry. Your dad was a pastor, so you're a PK. Yes, uh, mom and dad planted a church. I think I was probably nine or 10 at the time. And so pretty much my whole life that I can remember has been involved in church and ministry. Right. So you grew up around leadership and you're very well versed in best ways to lead people and the worst ways to lead people, right? Yes. And I, and I have uh, fallen victim to uh, <laughs> leading the worst way and sometimes stumble upon leading the best way. So I think it happens a lot. Yes. Well, we are on the Enneagram 8, which you are. I knew from the get-go, not going to say anything, but Enneagram's eights can't hide the fact that they're an eight. They can't. So this is an interesting fact. I was raised by an eight and I grew up, I was very direct to the point that it offended a lot of girls. I got along with guys because I was so direct and so blunt, Um, but I didn't know how to dull that sharpness until I was married. And, um, so I thought I was an eight. I actually thought I was like almost every single one of these. Uh, but I think it was just because I was raised by an eight who she was very loving, very kind, but direct. She could tell you exactly what she needed, what she didn't need, what you're doing, right. What you're doing wrong in a, in the most loving way. I prefer that type of communication. Like don't, you don't need to beat around the bush for me. Just tell me straight out. So I would do other people the favor of communicating that way. And that is not always the greatest. (laughs) Yeah, I hate uh, wasting my time and don't want to waste other people's time. And so maybe us eights do that out of what we think is actually caring and compassionate and actually the other person in mind but yet it's not always received that way. Uh, The one thing that we are going to be focusing on with eights is steamrolling. Do you feel like you identify with that at all? Absolutely. Now I'm 42 now, so I've had enough time to uh, temper myself and to learn about my personality traits and some of the strengths and the weaknesses. And then hopefully rely on the Holy Spirit to to soften and fill in those gaps. And, um, but I still catch myself where my normal tendency is to be task oriented or Mm. goal oriented and people get in the way sometimes got to get this done and can steamroll past the very people I want to serve to get a, to, to get a check mark of something being done or the, the thrill of an accomplishment sure. where I then actually 
did not serve the very people that that goal was even supposed to serve. And so I've recognized that um, through the years. I've been in ministry for a little over 20 years, full-time ministry a little over 20 years now. And I can actually remember those early years being in some meetings. I was director of media at an international ministry. And in the context of that meeting, me being a problem solver and wanting to get the the solution and the end result and the accomplishment we'd be discussing whatever and i would chart my own course on how this should be solved in my mind and then shut off or being open to shut off being open to the discussion of anybody else's input because i've already solved it okay so let's just go my way and leave this meeting and get something done um but obviously when you're working in a team you can't do that i realized the uh, error of doing that because over the course of a few years of working on this team, I realized I don't know everything, which was a shock. And that even though I was maybe an expert in my area or my department, I didn't understand how it affected other departments and, and, yeah. and what they're experts in. And they knew what I didn't know how it affects the ministry as a whole. And so while I could chart a course based on my perception and my experience, that may not be best for the ministry as a whole. We have to have everybody's input and opinions and the different personality types and the different characteristics or experience levels of those people all move at a different pace right? and my pace. And so I may be quicker and boom, let's go, but they want to evaluate it a little bit longer, think of pros and cons or whatever it may be and slow down the process and it taught me to be more patient hmm. and it taught me to move at a speed based on the team instead yeah. of my own speed. That's and, good. And so uh, I, I learned that by getting burned a few times by speaking the way that I thought it should go and being bold about that. And then three weeks later, after more review and more information, I would say, oh, well, that would have actually been the wrong choice. Yeah. And realizing that myself and, and just the experience teaching me uh, to, to, to slow down a little bit and to allow other input that varies from me or the timing of it or whatever. That's so good. And then of course you're an FCF member and yes. you've been going through the rad key system too. So you can see the value in working as a team versus one single person charting the course, uh, and doing everything and telling everybody else how to do their job. Yes, so. and uh, I love Dean Radke and, and the leadership system that he um, teaches so well. Um, and even in this position I am now as the point lead person, decision maker, the CEO, um, I value his system with the team aspect because previously I was one of the team members. Mm -hmm. And um, in an environment that did not have the Dean Radke team model, I was sitting there waiting to be told what to do mm. um, or, or didn't feel like my opinion or insight mattered so much. Wow. And yeah. so rather than being a problem solver and thinking of solutions within the context of my expertise, I would sit there and wait to be told what to do because that was yeah. the environment. And, and it, it, in some ways it's suffocating when you're a team member where yes. you might have potential and you are a go-getter and you could pro solve problems, but yet somebody that isn't an expert in your department or area is the one telling you how to do your 
thing. And, and so that's frustrating. Yes. And, and it also, um, uh, what I realized over the time, over time is that that is actually debt detrimental to the actual overall purpose and vision of the ministry. And, yeah. and it's good to have people that are skilled and experts in their areas that need to be the ones solving it. Uh, yes. John Maxwell talks about pushing decisions as low as possible within the organization mm. uh, so that um, the general employee that's dealing with the widget comes up with ideas on how to best deal with the widget. Or, right. That's my paraphrase. But um, the, that, that there's such truth in that Whereas now a point leader, that's an eight that can be strong, that, that can chart the course and say, hey, let's go there. I have to realize the team that God's brought me in their value, in their worth, and the uh, creativity and problem solving and God speaking to them that the ministry ovation church is better off when they get to play a part instead so of doing what they're told. And, Amazing. and so that has been great um, at Ovation Church the past few years, really digging into that and developing that more for mm -hmm. myself internally, but then also as an organization, because I can see even in the early years of Ovation Church, me knowing that, but not fully operating in it very well. And people uh, expect me to be the problem solver, expect me to chart the course and just say, hey, this is where we're going. This is how we're doing it. Get on board. Let's go. And there are some people that are like, yes, sir, let's do it. And, and they're fine with that. But the best top quality people aren't okay with that. Right. The best top quality people want to be included it, it's, uh, uh, on your top tier executive leadership team, especially I'm talking about. Uh, they don't want to just be tasked, tell me what to do. They want to be utilized and have their opinions and ideas and participate at a higher level. And so creating that environment is a good, healthy thing. It is. And so many uh, leaders are conditioned to just follow. Mm -hmm. um, they're conditioned to not have opinions for themselves. I was that way when I first came on at FCF because um, I was conditioned to be that way, that my voice didn't matter. My opinion didn't matter. I had protocols that I had to follow and that was that. And then I get put in a position where every single time something comes up, they're like, well, what do you think about it? How would you solve this problem? It's like, I don't know. Can you just tell me what I need to do? So it took me a while to get, and even now there are some times where it's like, please just tell me what I need to do. Um, but you, you just got to get out of it. It takes a while to break free. Um, that that bind the I don't know how to call it free your mind yeah isn't there a song about that let me read this to you and this is an overview of an eight and let's see what it has to say just FYI they like to challenge I think you're wrong about that by the way okay thanks <laughs> appreciate it um and just so you are aware um, Martin Luther King Jr., Julius Caesar, and Toni Morrison were all eights. At their best, healthy eights are amazing friends and partners. They're champions of those less fortunate. They are able to lead and follow when appropriate. Enneagram eights approach the world with courage and resourcefulness. Steamrolling, however, seems to be a common thread with most eights. They like to control and lead everything, which can go into challenging authority when they should be following. Steamrolling can also be an issue with a team. 
it can stifle a creative environment and derail progress, which we already talked about. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, truth in that, yes. It's interesting that we already talked about that. <laughs> We've already broken all of that down, so. We have now solved all of the world's problems for eights, yes. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> um, it takes maturity. Every Everyone that I've talked to, every single Enneagram type, they can look back in their younger years or in their um, more immature moments and see how that would be an issue. Some are still dealing with it. Some have already moved past it. But what I'm noticing is the um, majority of the leaders that I have spoken to, it could be a Holy Spirit thing where they're just tuned into the Holy Spirit that's helping guide them in the right direction. But they all seem to be the more healthy version of the eight or of the seven or the six or whatever. So way to go. Mm -hmm. You've toned yourself down enough to lead properly. Yes. And that happens through the uh, aspect of Christ-centered relationships. It does. Because, and, and you have to, um, regardless of your Enneagram or personality traits, have people in your life that can speak truth into you. Yeah. And are able to caringly uh, challenge you on the way you respond or the way you uh, come across and say, now, you know when you say that, your heart is this, but this is how people are looking at it and be receiving it. And you're kind of coming off as a jerk, you know? And uh, because that's happened to me before, those conversations, and I'm like, but that's not what I intend at all. That's not and, it. And, and But realizing that and then learning some skills to be a better communicator and to value people, um, just because this is on top of my mind with some of those skills, one of the things that I have found very helpful, and I forget who all teaches it, I know Radke does in his leadership, and I've heard it a couple other places, but be the last to speak. I think uh, Simon... Um, Simon Sinek. Sinek. Uh, yeah, I think he uh, also um has said that before in one of his many youtube things um but as the lead person the ceo that especially a enneagram eight that has that tendency to railroad and steam steam through things is to be the last to speak so don't just okay this is the problem and here this is how i think we should solve it and then ask so what do you think well most people aren't going to want to challenge you and say, well, you're wrong. I think we should do it this way. So what you just did is you created an environment where everybody now has to agree with you. That's so interesting. <laughs> and so that one skill of even in a context of a meeting, somebody in the meeting brings up a problem or an issue, looking in my face, look, staring me in the eyes, expecting me to solve it. I have learned, and I don't always get it right, but I've learned to instead of giving my opinion to say, hmm, that's really interesting. What do you think? What do you recommend? Yes. And then even if, they're, and even if they say, I don't know, then say, okay, well, what do y'all recommend? And in, in, in the context of a team, say, okay, y'all solve this. And um, give people an opportunity uh, to, to give input into that, and that values them. It teaches them to think and problem solve instead of having yep. to come to me to solve everything. And, yep. and it's pushing um, responsibility and authority down in delegating that to them, not just delegating tasks, but 
delegating creativity and the, the, the responsibility to think for yourself, delegate all of that to them. And so that has been one skill that has helped me greatly in a, uh, a team meeting environment is to be the last to speak, which is not easy. Questions are our greatest asset Absolutely. as a leader, asking the other people questions instead of telling them what we think asking them how would they solve the problem. It's a perfect example of how to correct the steamrolling. I'm going to pull up Dr. Bowman, and we're going to hear what he has to say about steamrolling through a psychological. All right, Todd, we're in number eight. This one is on steamrolling. What's up with steamrolling? All right, so my preferred definition of steamrolling is to either achieve something or to defeat someone in the context of an argument or could be business-wise companies. Uh, with by exerting a, a great amount of force, a great amount of pressure, uh, coercion would be a word that fits here for me. That really, it's about dominating, uh, which is interesting. Kind of thinking again about uh, neurobiology. Um, I think of uh, Adler's model of striving for superiority, uh, not even necessarily in a narcissistic way or a prideful way, but rather in kind of the, a sense of self kind of way. Uh, certainly we're queued up culturally to have a lot of fear of not having significance or not having superiority. Um, and uh, the, this kind of uh, sense of the need, the urgency, the drive to have mastery over someone or something. Uh, so again, uh, the sense of steamrolling, a really a negative connotation with using coercion, using threats, using size, using force. Uh, to overthrow someone. But really, again, it's about this fear of insignificance, this fear of uh, being small or perceived as incompetent or incapable. A lot of insecurity drives uh, this sense of the need to steamroll others. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, as he started even talking about that, that is one of the things that I was thinking is examining myself. Um, even in that context of being in a meeting, mm -hmm. if you're an eight, in an unhealthy way, and mm -hmm. you're in a meeting and somebody's asking you for a, a direction or an opinion or a solution, an answer to something, um, I used to feel like I needed to solve it to prove that I deserve to be in my position. Yes. Be it, but that comes from an unhealthy place of insecurity. Right. Um, that... Um, my performance determines my worth and my value. My um, ability to answer this um, is linked somehow to my identity and how I feel about myself and to prove to everybody that I am good enough, smart enough, and that, you know, I should be pastor when I'm 30 years old or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and Or even before that, director of media when I was mid-20s and to be able to say, no, I'm I'm smart and should be here. Say, I'll prove it to you. Um, but that just comes from such an unhealthy, uh, insecure place. And But I never realized that in the moment that that's what was driving it. No. In the moment, I thought, well, I'm trying to be helpful and I want to solve problems. And, you know, um, re not realizing some of the undermoning, uh, uh, underlying insecurities. And so um, it was really hard making that transition in a meeting when I'm okay, I'm supposed to speak last. And I felt so vulnerable in those moments because now everybody's looking at me and I'm not answering. 
And instead of saying, well, this is what it should be. I'm the hero. I'm going to swoop in and solve the problems and it be an ego trip is instead sitting there saying, well, what do you think? What do you recommend? And in the back of my mind, those are the words coming out. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, are they going to not trust me? Are they going to not think that I know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, I'm supposed to be leading them. They're supposed to be looking up to me somehow. And, and uh, am I now diminishing that because now they think that I'm stupid? <laughs> you know, they, they right. think that I'm clueless and, right. and I shouldn't be in charge because I don't know what I'm doing. You know, that's the thoughts in the back of my mind while I'm smiling at them saying, well, I don't know. What do you think? What do you and, think? And wow. so it took uh, 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 months or possibly even the course of two years probably before those thoughts disappeared from the back of my mind, just because of uh, experience and working through that. Um, now, looking back, I can see that at the time, not really being able to understand that, but just know that, no, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to trust my team and need to develop them. And mm -hmm. really, I guess that's what it comes down to is taking the focus. It's never about me. <laughs> and so doing this isn't about what I look like doing this process and uh, getting them to have input and getting them to be creative is about developing them. And I, I would like to add to that is also having your identity rooted in God and what he says about you and removing the extra pressure from man. Yeah. When you, uh, I mean, I think everybody deals with that of what do people think? Do, am I enough? Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? Do I know enough? Can I do enough? And um, that whole enough thing, we are never enough, but through Jesus, we are. So like realizing your worth to God through those eyes alleviates a lot of that external pressure as well. And of course, we realize that through our maturity in Christ and staying grounded in him and finding our identity in him instead of what we are doing here. It's just like. Um, I know you weren't able to join us for our quarter two event, but uh, Karen Jensen says uh, your family is more important than your call. Your relationship with God is more important than your call. I feel like, you know, of course, they kind of go hand in hand a little bit, but yeah. making sure you stay in line with God is more important than anything else. Yes. Um, and alongside that, um, level of importance and realizing those priority levels in a leadership um, environment. One of the things that I've realized um, that counters the steamrolling is in an unhealthy way, I can be so goal-focused, task-oriented focused that I can uh, end up using people to accomplish things yeah instead of using those things to develop people right so the, good the thing is still important the thing needs to get done in ministry and so in my context of a church uh sundays come around every seven days and so um we have to have um an emphasis on the task of a sunday morning um, with all the moving components and parts and different departments. And so there are things that need to get accomplished in order to serve the guests coming in, the attenders coming in, um, the members and partners that are there, uh, the other volunteers that are serving in the areas. If we're not organized or coordinated, 
we're not serving those people well. And so those tasks are important, but if those tasks take a priority over the people you're supposed to be serving, mm -hmm. then you start yeah. to use people to accomplish a task. And I, 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 I can easily see myself in the early years falling prey to that, thinking that being the taskmaster um, of there has to be excellence, there has to be quality, we have to be prepared, we're not going to make mistakes. And, and the pressure that puts on myself and the rest of the people was so task oriented, focused and goal oriented, possibly even out of a place of insecurity that when a visitor comes in, we need to impress them, um, right. or, or whatever it may be. Um, but when you do that, and you put the emphasis on that, then all of a sudden people are just tools to accomplish that. And so my lens shifting to realizing the task's purpose and the importance of the task is only directly related to how much it can benefit and help people. Yep. And so, so, so the end result and goal is actually the people, not the task. Okay, let's hear what Patrick has to say about steamrolling from a biblical point of view. Yeah, the counter biblically would be honor. Honor is where we are seeing people in the image of God and we celebrate who they are. In today's culture, as an example, people can't find it within themselves to disagree without hating or completely cutting the relationship off. Uh, our political climate, there's so many religious climates, there's so many things where people are afraid to disagree. What honor says is I can elevate you, I can honor who you are, I can explore what you believe without the intimidation that now I'm gonna lose myself if in fact I hear your opinion. I can actually love and honor even though I disagree. And what is beautiful about honor is it's saying that you're worthy, you're valuable, you're somebody I care about. And again, what we do is when we can't hang on to ourselves, when we seem to feel like I'm losing who I am if you disagree with me, that's kind of a codependent issue that needs to be worked with at a much deeper level. And when we are, living within our boundary and we're holding on to ourselves, it's easy to honor. I can honor you without losing me. And the Bible tells us to honor all people, and it specifically tells us to honor the king. Now, interestingly enough, today's world, we don't honor the king because one side or the other disagrees with whoever's in authority. The point of all this is we don't ramp up, whether it's social media, we don't amp up, whether it is face-to-face -face or in some other media platform and just steamroll people. What we're to do is to honor all people, hang on to ourselves, and still have convictions within our own opinions. So I'm uh, thought about I, I thought about again Dr. Radke during all of this because uh, an eight is your typical leader. If you're on a disc, it's a D. Uh, it's it's like the typical old school leader. My way or the highway. This is the right way. Do it the way I want. Right. And what Radke teaches us is how it is such a disservice to people to not allow them in on the decision-making. 
and to, you know, just totally disregard their brain. We're not doing them any, anything by cutting them out, by making all the decisions for them. So it's dishonoring them and who God created them to be to cut them out of that situation. Yeah, I think with um, two points that that makes me think of is the parable of the talents, mm. where um, as pastor, CEO, leader, uh, whether it be in a ministry environment or organizational environment, that um, the way I view the relationships and the team and the people that God has brought here is God's given me an opportunity to invest in them and to grow them. Yeah. And one day the master is going to return and is going to say, Hey, let's give an account. What did you right. do with what I trusted you with? And, um, I don't want to be the guy that said, well, they're still here. I didn't lose them. <laughs> they, they're there. They still show up on Sundays and, uh, but instead, I want to be the one that said, well, you gave them to me. And over the last two years, three years, four years, 10 years, whatever it is, that they've now be, they've grown in their leadership. They've grown in their understanding of so you. They, they, they can interpret scripture properly. They can defend the faith. They can, you know, that, that they are not the same person they used to be a year ago or 10 years ago, that, that they've been in an environment that has grown them because we've done the hard work of investing and planting in them. And, and so that's my role that I see myself that one day they need, God's going to come and want to use them for something, whether it's mm -hmm. in the context of Ovation Church or another church or, or whatever uh, uh, career or whatever it may be, marketplace, is that because they were part of Ovation Church, they've been equipped for God to use them more than they could have been used two years ago. So good. Uh, and, and, and so... Um, I, I, that's an aspect of valuing and honoring them and investing in them because they're the greatest value that God has as other people, people they matter are. to God. And, and so that worth and that value that they have and the potential that they have to be able to see that and, and pour into that. Mm -hmm. And so that's one aspect of that. The other thing he was talking about, about disagreement mm -hmm. um, in context of honor is so often a disagreement turns to dishonor. And what we will do is if we have a differing opinion, then instead of honoring you, which is giving worth and value to you, I need to diminish you so that I get my way, so that I get my opinion, so that I'm elevated. And all of a sudden it just becomes this competition. Um, but what I have found is because I'm so often right, um, and the other person obviously is wrong, right? I, I jokingly say that, um, but even as a pastor with a spiritual understanding, um, people will come to me with moral issues or mm -hmm. problems in a marriage or whatever. And they're actually asking me for my opinion, my advice, and they need help in that moment. And so um, it would be easy for me to lay out a list of the things that they need to do because I see what they don't see and you better do this. And if they don't, I can dismiss them or devalue them or, or diminish their worth. Um, and what I have found though, is I am not everybody's Holy Spirit. Ooh. And it's not my responsibility to bring that correction and development on them. It's my Ooh. responsibility to create an environment where that can best happen to, to remove obstacles in their way or, 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 or help open their eyes to see it. 
but ultimately yeah. they're responsible to God. And, and, and so I pray that God can use me to help influence, but what they do with it, how they respond and how they develop is the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, not my work. And, and so I have to remind myself of that because otherwise I can try to be their savior. I can try to be their Holy Spirit and take the weight on that myself. Mm -hmm. And then I can carry their problems with me mm -hmm. and that's unhealthy. And, and so I uh, have strived to um, see that healthy separation to say, okay, I'm responsible to God and I'm going to uh, do what I believe is right and how you respond and how you react to that and what you do with that is now between you and God. I don't have to prove you wrong. And, and, and so there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is, is maybe we're both right and maybe we're both wrong. And, and so this, the way I see something, um, it can be my opinion and I can celebrate that. And the way you see something can be your opinion. You can celebrate that. Obviously that, there's a line there where moral things are involved and God has spoken, then we both have to align to that. Uh, but much of life isn't just the black and white, right and wrong. It is what's the wise thing to do. And it's a bunch of gray. And that's going to be based on that person's experience and life history and the, where they're at in life and, uh, you know, a stage of life they're in which is varying from mine. So how I may do something to react is going to be different than them. So I can respect and celebrate them doing it differently than me. I want to talk about the best way to help someone when you see that they are steamrolling. On your team, if you have someone steamrolling the whole situation, running the show, guns blazing, what's the best way to help them stop? Um, I've encountered that a couple of times throughout the years and recognized um, that behavior because that used to be me in so yeah. many ways, and I can easily fall prey to that. And so some of the advice that I have given them is reminding them of the task versus people priority mm -hmm. and, and that, uh, that, that task is valid and important only to the degree that it serves to develop and grow people. Mm -hmm. and, and so we can't get that out of order. And so that's having to remind them. And then also just many of the stuff I've shared here is talking about my yeah. own personal struggle is I, I can identify with the tension that they're under uh, responding that way and tell them how I've worked through that and how um, whether it's from an insecure place or leadership principle place, try to give them some of the skills. Because what I believe is that it may not come natural for them to respond in a different way, to be more mm -hmm. patient, to, to uh, be the last to speak, to get more input and, and working with people in a more healthy way. It may not be natural to, but I think if they learn the skills and in faith, walk that out, even though it feels weird, um, trust that process and they'll see that it's better. I'm reminded of parenting. And I tell my 11 year old this, obviously I'm reminded of parenting because parenting is nothing more than leading. Mm -hmm. You're training human beings how to be better human beings. Hugo is incredibly intelligent and we let him know upfront, these are our expectations for the year. We know you are capable of it. How you go about that is up to you, but these are the expectations. We don't do his work for him. We don't tell him how to think, what to do, how to do it. We just make sure it's done. That's it. 
And that's how we should be leading, letting people know the expectations, when it needs to be done, and that you have full confidence that they are able to do it. I let him know straight up, if I did not think you could get straight A's, I would not push you to get straight A's, but I know you can, so I expect it of you. Expect it of yourself as well. And just like be straight with people, like this is exactly what I'm expecting. I'm expecting this of you. How you go about that is up to you though. And allowing them to have that freedom and creativity to come up with the problem solving, the implementation of it, the building of their team, all of it that goes into building either in the ministry or in the workplace. Because while we're talking about ministerial leadership, it can absolutely be translated into a uh, secular workplace as well. Absolutely. I want to thank you for joining me today and for helping other apes be better leaders. It was my pleasure. Love FCF, the heart of FCF, and what FCF is doing to encourage, equip, and, and to build up ministers. And yeah. I've benefited from that in, as pastor of Ovation Church. And so I love seeing what uh, FCF is doing, Pastor Cookie, and all of you there at the home office. The way you yeah. are intentional about caring for ministers is a good thing. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. On our next episode, we are talking about the nine, which is the last one in this series. Make sure you like and subscribe to us on all social media platforms, as well as YouTube or SoundCloud or iTunes or even Spotify if you haven't yet. And also, if you have not yet taken the Enneagram test, please make sure you do it. Have your team do it. Have your family do it. You'll be a better person for it. Thanks for listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. To learn more, go to fcf.org.